Hi, everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBR-FM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the City of Pittsfield. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have with us the illustrious Shirley Edgerton. I probably could have just said Shirley and that would be enough. Like, you know how we say Beyonce or Madonna or Prince or Michael. Um, But for those who may not know, Shirley is a longstanding community activist and fierce youth advocate in the city of Pittsville who wears a multitude of hats and is seemingly everywhere. And today we're going to get into her story. So welcome, Shirley. Welcome, and thank you for that introduction. <laughs> you're you're welcome. You have officially joined the ranks of the one named individual. So if we just say Shirley, people say, oh, yeah, I know Shirley. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, all right. So let's start with um, a brief background. In 2015, you retired from the Department of Developmental Services after a 25-year career. You are a founding director of Youth Alive, a dance troupe which is more than 20 years old. You are the founder of the Rights of Passage and Empowerment Program, also known as ROPE, and you are the founder of the Women of Color Giving Circle. All right, I'm going to continue because this brief background, again, (laughs) there's a lot to it. You are the cultural proficiency coach for Pittsfield Public Schools and a consultant for cultural competency training. Okay, and for your life's work, you've been celebrated with countless accolades and awards. You've been featured in the 2016 film, A Small Good Thing, and you have been bestowed with honorary doctorates from the College of Our Lady of the Elms in 2018 and from MCLA in 2019. That's quite a resume, especially for someone who's retired. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it's very impressive. So, while praise is a good thing, Shirley, I know, um, just knowing you personally, that this has never been your motivation. Um, you have always been about um, the why and the reasons um, behind the work. So I just want to get started by talking about how you got on this path of advocacy. And um, you grew up in Mount Vernon, right? Yes. All right. Mount Vernon, New York. All right. right. Yes. I know Mount Vernon, too, because my grandmother's house was in Mount Vernon. It's in Westchester County, mm-hmm. for those who may not know. And you've often shared the story that your maternal grandmother, your aunts and mentors in the African Methodist Episcopal Church helped to shape you. Yes. I'm curious that with such a strong force field of support around you, what was life like for you as a teenager? Hmm. Well, it was interesting, mm-hmm. you know, now that I re- reflect on um, my beginnings, um, I was amazingly shy okay <laughs> for a long period of time transitioning from the south to the north was okay. quite uh, an endeavor mm. um, my clothes didn't look like the other students so um, I was teased about my clothing uh, I had a very heavy southern accent you did oh yes I did and um, uh, between my peers teasing me and, you know, um, uh, using their example of the Southern drawl. Yeah. (laughs) And the school system Mm -hmm. actually deciding that I had a speech impediment. Okay. Okay. So I was put into speech and um, with those processes, I pretty much lost my Southern accent. Hmm. And um, but then after a period of time, thank goodness for my grandmother's insight into uh, and her focuses, it was about education and God. Right. Th- those were the two priorities in our lives growing up. 
And I was surrounded by these very strong women mm-hmm. in the Amy Zion Church. Mm-hmm. And um, they saw in me what I never saw. Mm. Never saw these things, you know. And um, they helped instill in, in me that I had a lot of positives, mm. that um, I had abilities around leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, they taught me how to uh, create stories, you know, which was pretty amazing. Yeah. My pastor's wife, uh, we would learn scriptures, mm-hmm. and then she would have us to write a story. And then somehow I evol- evolved into taking those Bible stories yeah. and making them modern-day stories. So, so like, interesting. Yeah, so like the... Um, the Prodigal Son. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. <laughs> you know, I, I wrote uh, a story, a little skit, and yeah. we ended up doing it in church. And uh, the Prodigal Son ended up going to Forty Second Street <laughs> and then engaging in activities. Really? Oh yeah, that was my modern day version. You know, and and that's how I got on the road of writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I they taught us to uh, be of service yeah. to others, and I very much understood and appreciated what had happened in my life. Would Would you say then that I the the church as it was, especially as it's known as the Black Church back yes. then, it was the center life. The cent I would say the the center of life That's for right. the community, and so that was where people were able, young people were able to get encouragement. That's where they learned a lot of things. So you're you're an embodiment of that experience. That's right. Absolutely. In every sense of the word. Mm. You know? And there was a time where we lived right physically right across the street from the church. So So you were there all the time. All the time, you know, <laughs> all the time. So but I'm extremely grateful. Yeah. Because the the virtues and the uh characteristics that people see in me today, yeah. it all stemmed from uh, my family yeah. and their sense of of God mm-hmm. and the church I grew up in. I'm curious if you, if you your family never moved to the north, what do you think your life would be like if you had stayed in the south? Wow. Who that's, would you that's be? A, yeah, that that's an interesting question. Um I'm not sure yeah. of the opportunities because the church that I grew up in was large in size and the pastor and his wife were very intentional mm. with their relationships with young people. Yeah. And I'm not sure if the tr- the, the way I love to travel, yeah. again, I learned that through the church and I learned to appreciate that. So I'm not sure if I would have had all of those opportunities yeah. if my grandmother stayed in the South. It's an interesting thing because I sometimes think about like if my family never came to this country, mm-hmm. what would my life be like, right? So I, I came to this country from Jamaica when I was two and I sometimes think about that dichotomy like who would I be mm-hmm. and it's it's a completely different person yep you know yeah. so it's a very interesting way to think about our lives and the path that we're set on and the yeah. persons that we become so very interesting I just thinking about all the things and all the experiences that you have um, had are there things or um, moments that you can recall as a aha moment, as Oprah would say? Mm-hmm. Well, I can remember when I was about, I was 17 years old, okay? And I, I had a sense of my blackness, mm-hmm. and I understood the issues of race and class, um, but I was in the Bronx, 
where my uncle and aunt lived, and I was um, in this five and ten cent store, and I was buying some rollers for my hair, and I'm standing there and very engaged in that. All of a certain sudden, I heard the store manager saying, "Get out of here! Get out of here! You know, you're stealing! Get out of here!" So. I, I heard, but I didn't hear. I just continued to do what I was doing. All of a sudden, he comes over to me. You two, get out of here. I said, you're talking to me? Here right. I am, 17 years old, right. senior in high school, getting ready to go to college, full of myself, you know, just, you know, so uh, proud of my accomplishments right. and feeling very much, uh, you know, a good citizen, right. you know. And so he says, you, you know what you're doing. Get out of here. You're stealing. And I'm shocked. I said, I'm not stealing. I said, what do you mean? I'm not stealing, you know. And he says, yes, you are. Get out of here. I said, what are you talking about? I, I, I don't, I, what are you, and I'm, I'm going back and forth because yeah. I'm in shock. And he says, get out of here. you just like the rest of them. Get out of here. And then it hit me because those, the other students he accused of stealing, mm-hmm. he assumed because I was black mm-hmm. that I was stealing. And that was the pivotal moment for me in terms of a different level of activism mm-hmm. because I had had uh, my first major and significant experience with racism. Prior to that, had you, was it maybe tangential, so you maybe had heard about other people's experience, but you never experienced it yourself? Exactly. Mm. And it was, you know, I lived in Mount Vernon in an Italian, primarily an Italian and black community. We pretty much all got along. There were some issues, you know, with the high school when they built a new high school. But again, I did not personally experience it. Hmm. So... But when I was 17 and had that experience, it was like, hmm, this is it. What was the national landscape like, though? I'm, I'm just curious because growing up and I know I, I have not asked you your age early and I will not. <laughs> but I'm just figuring around the time when you grew up, there probably was a lot happening. Yes. So did you make any kind of connections between what's happening to you sort of on this micro level and then on the national scale? Absolutely. Um, that propelled me more to pay attention to Minister Farrakhan and the black Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always very conscious of the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. But from that experience, then I became um, I moved not so much moved out of the church, mm-hmm. but I increased my level of focus on the issues surrounding race. And when I went to college, um, even, you know, moved around a bit in terms of socialism right. and, you know, going, starting to go to uh, rallies and um, meeting friends who mm-hmm. were involved politically and socially. Hmm. How did that vibe with your grandmother? Oh, my goodness. Well, by the <laughs> she, my grandmother um, had died when I was about 14. Hmm. And um, so then I moved with another uncle and aunt. Um, and that was not welcomed in the household. Um, I couldn't bring, I was told not to bring any more Black Panthers papers into the household. Um, I was admonished about going to listen to Minister Farrakhan because I was venturing out and doing that. Um, so it was not well received. Mm-hmm. 
It's an interesting thing because we know that, you know, like Dr. King today, he's well, you know, he's revered. But during that time, you know, um, there were many people who thought of him as an agitator. Mm-hmm. And there were people within the black community that thought of him as an agitator as That's well. Right. So it's it's an interesting thing how history kind of plays out mm-hmm. um, and how we look at our leaders today. I mean, he was doing um, important work, but at the time it made people very uncomfortable. So um, it definitely laid the seed. And obviously the things that you heard during the time, um, you know, growing up ha- has stayed with you. Mm-hmm. Um Thinking about all of that, thinking about all the experiences that you've had, listening to different leaders, listening to different people um, with their messages of, you know, empowerment. Did that make you decide that you wanted a career in public service and advocacy? Yes. And I think some of that also came from my personal life story, you Mm -hmm. know, in terms of. Uh, my grandmother and uncles and aunts raising me versus my parents. Okay, And so there was some level of involvement with the Department of Social Services once we came to the North because there was not that involvement, you know, in the South in right. terms of families just took care of extend, extended family members, right. you know. Um, so, but when we arrived to the North, my grandmother, you know, was told, you know, will you take care of your granddaughter? There are funds available and so on. So, um, so there was some under, I had some understanding of social services, you know, in the North. So I think that level of involvement and some other family issues, Mm -hmm. I got to know my mother. Um, and so because of that awareness, mm-hmm. uh, and because of my sense of caring for others um, through the church, um, and I was the scripture of of the um, of your kind of your responsibility yeah, if yeah. you're blessed yeah how it, it is your responsibility to give and share with others well i think it, it's to whom much is given That's much it. is required yes yes <laughs> and i and i thrived on that yes i constantly thrived on that scripture mm-hmm. you know uh and so i think just from those life experiences right. that that's how i moved into service Okay. Well, we we talked about a little bit about retirement. And I think if I look in the dictionary and I look up the word retirement, I will not see your picture. Yeah. (laughs) Because I think you have totally redefined what retirement looks like. And I'm intrigued by the fact that after this great career with the state, you then decided to go work in the schools as a cultural proficiency coach. And, you know, obviously nowadays, mm-hmm. cultural competency, this is, these are issues that have risen to the forefront. People are talking about it. Maybe in years past, these weren't conversations that people were having. Now people are talking about it. Um, and it's something that uh, many regard as important. In your work, what are some of the key focal points that you center on um, to raise awareness around this? That's a great question. For me, equity and justice Mm -hmm. are the two major pieces um, because I think if we can help bring awareness that the bottom line is equity for all people. Right. Regardless of class, race, you know, sexual orientation, all of it, mm-hmm. all of the differences that we often 
pretend we don't see, but we do see. Mm -hmm. If we could understand that the next person just wants the same opportunity that we have. Right. That that's that that's a bottom line for me. And then justice. If we don't offer or ensure that there's an equitable or there's equity, Mm -hmm. then we need to um, we need to be just Mm -hmm. in our response to the inequities that um, that people are exposed to, okay. whether it's historical, systematic, whatever, you know, individual, large picture organization, whatever the level, I think, you know, for me, it's equity and justice. So what would that look like, um, like in real life? Like, because as there, there are concepts, but what does equity and justice look like when mm-hmm. it's boiled down? Because I know that a driving factor that influences all of that is implicit bias. Right. Absolutely. So how do you get to the root causes in your work? Mm -hmm. Well, again, I think um, a big part of that is is bringing awareness Mm -hmm. to um, to the fact of of humanity that through socialization, through life experiences, through what we read, through the way systems are designed, that there are inequities that exist. Right. So that's the first level is bringing awareness to that and helping people to understand that without the feeling of guilt. Yes. Guilt gets in the way. Yes. We don't want people to feel guilty. We just want you to be aware that there are inequities and some of those inequities you didn't have anything to do with. Yes. Okay. That's so important. Right. There's systematic they're historic right okay right and so if you if we could get people to understand that right and understand that people's needs are different right okay what one student needs another student may not need right so that doesn't that difference should not impact those students in any negative way it's like if you think about your children you could have multiple children and they have different needs exactly you want to give them the same love but you also have to give them different things because they might learn differently that's right you might have different needs you're not just going to say well i'm going to give everyone one size fits all that's right because they have different needs so you have to accommodate those needs and if you would do it for your children and if you think about that's that's sort of like your first group, your team, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Thinking about it on a larger level, like how do you address the needs of people who are different, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. giving them and meeting them where they're at. So that's so mm-hmm. important. And I yep. think the part that you said also about the guilt, mm-hmm. because people will say, well, I didn't do anything. And you're absolutely right. You didn't. But it's right. not the individual. It's the system. system. Exactly. So it's 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 more about the system and raising awareness about the system and how the system came to be. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so very important, um, and it it's important work. And obviously, you do consulting with this as well. Yes. So That's where where do you go? Do you go to schools within Berkshire County as well? Schools within Berkshire County, beyond mm-hmm. um, Berkshire County, uh, businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had some um, opportunities to do some trainings with some political figures I won't name. No, No, because they just call on Shirley. (laughs) So, so, um, you know, I'm very fortunate that I've had those opportunities to have conversations. That's how I regard them as conversations, you know. I'm so curious. Did you ever think your life would take you would go down this path because did you ever envision all of this absolutely not i mean 
None of it, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you have to think about my very humble. People say that, but it's a true cliche. Mm -hmm. Very humble beginnings, you know. My grandmother, um, who was just... um, a woman full of so much wisdom and insight, you know. And so my mother and father was 16 years old when I was born. Yeah. And uh, so my grandmother said, okay, well, we're going to take care of you. And um, my uncles were, uh, basketball has been a theme for generations in my family. Mm-hmm. And um, so one in particular went to college and he became a teacher, came back to the community and so by the time I was three years old, they were like, whoa, well, what are we going to do with her? Because everybody's working in this household. Right. So my uncle started taking me to school. Okay. And they put me in the kindergarten class. <laughs> so, so from three to five, I repeated kindergarten for about three years. <laughs> so, oh, my God. You know, you know, so, yeah, absolutely not. In a million years, I would have never thought that I would have had the life experiences, the opportunities, and the people that I've met in yeah. my past have just been incredible. Wow. Well, I think it, it speaks to the, the, the cliche that when it says it takes a village. Yes, absolutely. And what you've just described is how everyone pitched in mm-hmm. and the family and people outside the family circled around you to make sure that you were raised well, you were mm-hmm. raised with love and that so you could be set forth yep. into the world. So it's kind of not surprising like how you <laughs> that same love that you were shown that you show so many in our community you know, and one of the things that I know is that even while you were working, you know, your community work was really important to you. Yes. And you've made it known that when your your children are all adults now, yes. <laughs> um, you know, Jerome, Akila, and Jernay, um, but when they were little, you, you included them. You intentionally included them yeah. in all that you were doing. Um, one, what did you hope they would glean from it and at the time, did you think they were taking it all in? Because, <laughs> you know, I have kids, too, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know if it's settling in. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, definitely not. Okay. <laughs> you know, and their father and I were very intentional mm-hmm. with their activities because both of us understood and felt like positive activities result in a positive life. Okay. Opportunities. So we wanted to, them to embrace who they were as individuals, mm-hmm. as young folks of color, and folks of this community. So it was like this three different levels. Mm-hmm. So we would take them back to New York to ensure that they were exposed to black history. Okay. To, to celebrate their blackness. Okay. You know? And and when opportunities were available here, yeah. we did likewise. And then part of our role was to help to create some of those uh, black celebrations. Mm-hmm. Um and as individuals, you know, we like um, my youngest daughter, Janae, and she's still not any different today, has <laughs> always been her own person. Yes. You know, she did not want to fall and follow in the footsteps of her big sister who who was a ballet dancer and, you know, did these other activities. So if Akila did ballet, then she wanted to do African dance or no dance at all. Okay. So, <laughs> so we recognize yeah. this. You're talking earlier. Right. Each child is different, and yes. you need to respond that yes. way, you know? Yes. So she loved horseback riding, so she loved, she participated in horseback riding, okay. you know? So you indulge the interest. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And, and, and of course, as uh, their father and myself grew up with religion and, 
church life, yeah, that was a big part of, of, of their lives as well. Obviously, because we know Akila, she's a pastor yeah. as well. I mean, yes. I mean, she, I mean, that's that's her. Well, that's part of her work because right. she has a day job too. Yes, she does. But, but that is a big core um, core aspect of her being, mm-hmm. and and also for Jerome as well. Yes. yes. So um, obviously, the impact um, you know stayed with them. And Akila, actually, she and um, another young woman, Erica. I want to say Erica Young. Yes. They founded Youth Alive Absolutely. more than twenty years ago. Yep. yep. So I'm just doing the math now they were <laughs> they were young people when yes. they founded this tell me a little bit about the landscape um in which w- when they founded youth alive and mm-hmm. why did they decide to to um to establish this group well there was a sunday afternoon program mm-hmm. they wanted to participate as young people mm-hmm. so they came to me and said well we want to do a step i said what do you do know about stepping yeah. you know and uh well we know how to step i was like okay i said fine Okay, you have, you know, find a few other young people and mm-hmm. choreograph your step. Yeah, you know, just made a statement to mm-hmm. them. Okay, so they went and rallied their siblings and buddies. So it was five of them, and they did this step after in this after uh, afternoon church program. Yeah, and people were like, oh, that was beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, as good parents who were like, oh my God, that's just beautiful. And um, so they came to us and they said, well, we want to participate in the gathering, which was coming up, mm-hmm. you know, and we were like, for our listeners gathering? who don't know what the gathering is, Shirley, oh, tell I'm sorry. What's the gathering? OK, the gathering is the oldest African-American celebration in the Berkshires. OK. And it usually takes place in Pittsfield during the summer months. And it's just an incredible festival, community wide okay. festival. So they wanted to participate in that. Because everyone looked forward to the gathering mm-hmm. as they were growing up. And uh, we're like, okay, you know. So we figured we'd get them a little outfits, and we did that. And they performed their little step. Well, we did not expect the reaction from the young people in the community. They're like, we want to join. We want to join. We're like, join what? <laughs> there was no group. Yeah. <laughs> This is just a bunch of kids out of the church. <laughs> there's nothing to join. So we were telling people, well, there's nothing here to join. And so then that's when Akil and Eric said, oh, but well, we need to start a group, you know. And we were like, wow. Oh, OK. OK. And that's what we did. So they started coming to the church. But then we recognized that everyone was not a member of the church, nor was church in you know, a central yeah. part of their lives. Right. So I had suggested with my social work background that maybe we take it out of the church. Okay. And that this was because I began to see some of the development in the young people. I said, this is a prime opportunity for us to begin to help develop our young people in the community. Mm. And um, and and that's what we did. You know, we I've, you know, volunteered to be the, the director. Yeah. Um, and, and their father, you know, who also knew step and um, so were was a you musician. Stepping? Were you stepping? Step what? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, social work. <laughs> Encouragement. <laughs> yes, there you go. There you go. Um, you can do anything, you know, right. empowerment, right. you know. Higher. So, move that leg yeah, higher yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I, and I did learn how to coach, okay. you know, because um, 
having a knowledge of, of the South and HBCU. Yes. So I knew the energy that yeah. was necessary. So I was able to coach a little bit, but, th- you know, they didn't allow me in that arena too much. Okay. But, <laughs> but I was great with planning and, you know, finding money. And wow. Yeah, the first grant I wrote, we ended up going to California. We drove cross-country with you the group. You drove? We drove. We Ooh. took two vehicles and we drove, uh, was it about 10 of them, about 8 or 10 of them, cross-country to California. We were going to, um, oh God, to a conference there. Yeah. And along the way, stopped at the, um, the Grand Canyon yeah. and, you know, took them through Las Vegas. And, you know, we decided to make uh, an opportunity out of it for them to learn and be exposed. I bet those who went on that trip would never forget it. Absolutely. Now, and that's an interesting thing you said, because yeah. I remember when they went back to school in the fall. And it was one of those moments that you don't really want to remember, mm-hmm. but you do. Um I got a phone call from one of the young men whose family, they went with us, okay? And he had gone back to school, and the teacher had asked, so what did you do over the summer? He raised his hand and told them how he had traveled cross-country, went to California. And the teacher basically told him, now, you know, you didn't do that. Yeah. Hmm. So he was very hurt, you know, because there were assumptions made about who he was and being able to afford to do something like that, not understanding. Again, implicit bias. You got it. Mm. You got it. So, yeah, and that was one of those moments that I will never forget because his grandmother went to the school and said, yes, he did. Hmm. He did make that trip. He did go to those places, you know. Right. And that's a tie into, again, why the work that you're doing is so important because, you know, it's examining those thoughts and the reasons why we think the way that we do, the reasons why we have snap judgments Mm -hmm. and and preconceived notions. And with Youth Alive, you know, one of the things, of course, they were dancing. But to your point, you were shoring them up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as individuals so that when they, you know, would go out into the world, they would be productive. They would be confident in their abilities and in who they are. And so these kind of programs, it's so important. And when you think about like, like art and music, especially in schools and stuff, when you're thinking about budgets and stuff, those are like sometimes the first thing to go. That's right. But the creative aspect of development is so important because Mm -hmm. it it taps into a key part of who we are as individuals. So it's so necessary. So even if they weren't getting it in other areas, they had youth alive. Right. Absolutely. They had youth alive. And research tells us that there's such an impact Mm. on the whole being. Right. You know, and that it makes a difference in their grades in school. Absolutely. It it, it makes a difference in um, their confidence, Mm. you know. So, um, and then, so I recognize that we could utilize mm-hmm. the um, the music as a tool to yeah. to move in a very positive way and yes. in the community and in the lives of these young people. Well, it's like twenty years later, yeah. and Youth Alive is still going strong. One, did you think that? I know you knew that it was a powerful program, but did you think, wow, we would be here twenty years later? Not at all. 
Yeah. And, the, and then when I look around now, I mean, we have generations now yeah. in, in the group. And I look at some of the young people who are in key positions in our community yes. doing incredible work, you know. Um, and it's so funny because it was like each time when I decided, OK, folks, I'm retiring out. It was like they would sense it. Yeah. It was so interesting. And I would say, OK, I'm OK, I'm, I'm going to give it up now. Yeah. And then somebody would say, well, what, what are you getting ready to do? Miss E, what are you doing? Like, um, well, Miss E, no, 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 no. We have to keep going. It was, you know, so it's just, um, but I am at this point actually looking for a young person, you know, who might want to move into the leadership position. Oh. Yeah, definitely am. I have one high school student that's, okay. you know, that's coaching. Okay. Um, but I've I've put out some word to MCLA mm-hmm. and Williams. Okay. Um, because Maxine Lyle, who's done an incredible job with her step team, yes. you know, a professional step team yes. after she graduated from Williams, helped to coach youth alive. So I'm looking for another young person who might be ready to step in as the directors the coach and move to the move it Mm. next generation we'll talk more about the continuation and the next generation (laughs) angle i have some questions on that um but before we do i want to get into another baby of yours the rites of passage Uh, and empowerment program and i know that you are the founder (laughs) (laughs) for that program so tell me a little bit about um about rope and um, and, and, and why you decided to center your focus predominantly on girls mm-hmm. for this program. And, and it was because of my experience with Youth Alive okay. that I decided we needed to focus on young women. Okay. Um, because I would see the girls. Okay. Boys are preparing for a show. They're drumming and mm-hmm. totally focused. You know, you can tell their little egos are being stroked. They're yeah. feeling really good about themselves yeah. and doing well. Yeah. Okay. The girls just as capable of as the young men, but they're like encouraging them and spending very little time paying attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, very little self-encouragement. It was all about the boys. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, my God, this we have to help our girls to understand that they're just as valuable right. and that they have purpose the same way these young men have purpose. Right. So that's why I decided as a woman and um, identifying the needs of girls in our community yeah. that we needed to focus on young women. So my friends have always uh, been the brunt of <laughs> of my ideas, you yeah. know. So that's what I did, you yeah. know. Went like we, we need to do this for young young girls, yeah. and um, the response was great. Yes. and uh, and you know, I mean, you're one of the amazing mentors, yes. you know. Well, disclosure, yes, yeah. I am a mentor with <laughs> <Yeah>. rope. <laughs> you know, yes. So it's yeah, it's it's just been an incredible journey of. Yeah of uh, successes for mm-hmm. the young women and the way the community has embraced the program yes. and the, um, the the young people that have graduated from high school, yes. the numbers, I mean, our numbers are greater even than the national level in wow. terms of graduating from high school, attending college, and finishing college. Right. Because you know that that's a feat also. Right. To be able to finish. is one thing to enter, but finishing right. is a different story. Right. And I think that's the beauty of ROPE is that we don't just um, prepare them but and send them off. 
we stay with them. Exactly. So there is that love, that continuation. Mm -hmm. Um, And the rope um, members are referred to as scholars. Scholars. Yes. Yes. And, you know, um, you know, obviously, you know, names matter. Mm -hmm. And so having the name scholar allows them to aspire to the highest level Mm -hmm. of excellence, obviously. Um, But we know that with every success, we know that, you know, there are stories of perseverance, there are stories of resilience. Do you recall, you know, just um, any, you know, anecdotally, a -hmm. story of perseverance or resilience that stayed with you, struck you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, there are lots of stories like that, Mm -hmm. but I think of a senior, current college senior, and um, she had major challenges just entering college, okay? Um, She was homeless in junior and senior year. Um, We couldn't get information to complete her FAFSA once we convinced her that she even had the abilities to go to college. Um, So we we told her, you know, yes, your grades are not uh, ideal. They're not of excellence. But that does not mean that you don't have the ability to do the work. You had a lot of obstacles and challenges growing up. Okay, and there are institutions that understand that and will support you, okay, to make that transition to become an excellent student. So that was the first process to convince her, Hmm. okay? So we told her, you need to go to a school where you can live, okay, where you can eat, and all your other academic and, you know, other social needs will be met. We convinced her of that. She went to an HBCU to a bridge program that summer. She not only passed it, she aced it. Wow. This young woman now, three and a half years later, is getting ready to graduate in January. Not May. She's graduating a semester early, made the dean's list every semester. Wow. Wow. That's that's perseverance. Exactly. I think what you mentioned about the initial phase, um, instilling the belief. And we've often talked about within rope imposter syndrome. That's right. Um, and um, basically dismantling that. And mm-hmm. for those who may not know, imposter syndrome is, you know, just to paraphrase, it's really when you don't believe um, that you kind of have the goods, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And others around you might say, wow, that person has it, that person has that potential. Potential, that person's going places, mm-hmm. but that individual doesn't believe it for whatever reason. Right. Maybe they feel like I don't fit in. Maybe they feel like I'm not really supposed to be here. They're going to find me out. I'm a fraud. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, all the things that you tell yourself. And so speaking to this scholar, you obviously you had to take away all of that mm-hmm. stuff, sweep that all out. So that she would know she does have the goods. That's right. That's exactly right. That foundation. Yep. Yeah. And it's the same thing you spoke about earlier about the village. Mm. Because that's what we did. We surrounded her as a group of women who some had had um, been on a path mm-hmm. that she was on and, right. and experienced some of the challenges in life. So they were able to tell her. You can overcome this. This does not define who you are. You can do this. Look at me. And and to me, that's one of the most powerful things about rope. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're very intentional (laughs) about who is involved with rope, because our young women need to understand that we're not monolithic. 
all of us are different. We've had different experiences. You know, you talk about, you know, coming from uh, the Caribbean yes. and what that experience yes. was for you. I talk about coming from the South. Yes. We have others who were born here in the community. So the young people, the young women and the non-binary young people that come into our group, yes. they understand that, oh, Okay, so I don't have to be of this group. I don't have to be of that class. I don't have to live there or have had that experience to go to college. Right. It's open to all. There's a place for everyone. That's right. Yes, that's been very intentional. And so, you know, rope, I mean, it's it's foundational and it's just a place and an opportunity that I think just has created so much value. So I just, you know, that's just my my shameless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, you know, <laughs> and one of the things that I also love about it yeah. is. The commitment of the mentors. Yeah. I mean, we have a whole new program that's developing now that I'm so excited about. The Ambassadors Program. <laughs> and who's the founder of that but Roberta Dews? You know, <laughs> a whole new level, yeah. you know. And to me, that is like so important yeah. because that ensures that we will have a future in this community. Absolutely. It's that pipeline, you know, of, you know, knowing that the little ones, um, you know, they need to be exposed to. And just knowing what their the the influences right i mean you know growing up we never had to contend with social media we but they do and at a younger and younger age like they are exposed to all these things and the thing is that technology is a great thing Mm -hmm. but there are elements of it that seek to say you're not good enough Mm -hmm. and so the work that we are doing um is basically to say actually you are Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. if we can get that message to the little ones so that by the time they're able to enter the rope program as scholars and they get that in their mind it's like ingrained in them that they know you are enough it doesn't matter what the world says that's right you are enough um absolutely then, then we've I guess done our job, and that's such a critical period yeah. because they're getting ready to yeah. middle school, and, and you know, <laughs> and for some young people, Ooh. that's the most challenging period. Middle school is, um, I call it, it's the wilderness mm. because so much happens um, in middle school, and that's where they need the most encouragement. And that village concept that you mentioned is so yeah. important to say. You're surrounded by love. Mm-hmm. Like there might be all this other stuff going on. That's right. But we're we're just gonna we're just gonna surround you. Um, I'm curious, really, with all of the mentoring and all of the cultural competency work and all of it, what keeps you up at night? When I feel somehow I've failed a young person. Hmm. I, that's so funny. I just had this conversation with someone on my way here. And um, it was about a young person who I felt that not just me as an individual, but systems failed him about eight years ago. And I felt like I was part of that failure. And um, all of a sudden, this young person has come back into our lives and into the community. And um, to my surprise... The individual said, you were one of the few that believed in me and tried to help me. So that gave me some relief that all of these years I kept holding that. Mm -hmm. And now I'm feeling like my um, 
commitment to that person yeah. is to ensure that the experience this individual had eight years ago that yeah. I felt like systems failed. Yeah. That I'm going to make sure that right. that does not happen again. That must be hard because this is this the work that you're doing. It's with human beings. Yes. So it's emotion. It's not like you can just pack it away and say, "Okay, see you tomorrow. You are heavily invested in the lives of people Mm -hmm. and you carry that with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's it's a heavy lift. It really is. But I think. When you work with young people, Mm -hmm. you have to understand the seriousness of that. Mm. You have to understand the responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I've learned how um, I have a better balance Mm -hmm. (laughs) than I did when I first started in the work. I mean, you know, it would just totally destroy me. But I've learned how to um, deal with it. But it does still keep me up at night Mm -hmm. um, because... In some ways, as I, when I was a manager in state government, I often stayed up at night thinking ahead of the day before it came upon me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I do that with my work with young people. You know, okay. I think about and sometimes my best thinking is at night. Yeah. The quietness of the night. Yes. You know, no one to disturb me. Yes. It's just me and my thoughts. Yes. So. In yeah. some ways, it's a positive, uh, mm. but not on days when I'm feeling really tired. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I would imagine so, yeah. that's often. Yeah, yeah. And so hopefully you'll have some relief. Hopefully you'll have an assistant at some point yeah. yes. to yes. help you. Yes, we're working on that. <laughs> okay, very very good. Yes. Well, you know, one of the things we talked about earlier, the continuation and generational work and all of that, and mm. it made me think about someone pivotal in our community who passed passed away earlier this year, um, a mother, Mabel Hamilton. And, you know, before she passed, in her own words, she was able to participate in an oral history project to talk about her journey, her story. Mm -hmm. And you have shared that Mother Hamilton um, basically prepared you to continue the community work um, that you're doing. So could you talk a little bit more about the impact of Mother Hamilton and those like her who have gone before? Well, that's that. That was one of those life experiences. Even as an adult, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't expect, and um, I was resistant. <laughs> you know? And she said to me, "You know, we st- we had this relationship, and you know, the incredible activist yes. that she was, and she yes. loved everybody, and yes, everyone loved her. Yes, she you did. know." And uh, as we began to do work, be on the same committees or boards, she would begin to instruct me you know and at first I wasn't even conscious of it you know that she was giving me instructions and sharing her wisdom with me and I would be involved in these community actions and she would check in like did you do so and so did you call so (laughs) and I'm like well why do I have to do that because that's it's you Shirley Hmm. I say what what do you mean why me why can't so and so because you're called to do this. Still, here I am an adult. I'm, I'm not called to do this, <laughs> but I'm already doing X, Y, Z, right. you know? Right. And um, and she would, Shirley, <laughs> <laughs> when I was with Sister Hamilton, I would feel like a child again mm-hmm. because, you know, I felt like, well, I'm already doing enough. Yes. And she's telling me, no, this is what you need to be doing. Yeah. And then, but this, I will never forget this conversation when she said, 
you know that it's your your next. Her and Reverend Durant one day, we had we were involved in this community issue, mm-hmm. and I was with the two of them, and they had this conversation with me of passing the torch. I was like, uh, not me. <laughs> so they sat you down, so, yes, and said, "We need to talk to you." Yes, we were at. We had. We were dealing with a community issue. Okay, had come from a meeting, and the three of us were together. And they said, "Well, you know, we're passing the torch to you." It's like, what? Uh, I passing the torch? No, not to yeah. me. <laughs> Is someone else joining this meeting? (laughs) No, no, you know. Right. And uh, Sister Hamilton, yes, surely. Yeah. uh, Sister Hamilton, come on. I Mm -hmm. mean, all of these people are out here. Reverend Durant, yes, surely. You know, and it was like the two of them gang up on me, you know. (laughs) In the kindest and most gentlest ways because they never raised their voice. Exactly. Exactly. Never raised their voice mm-hmm. at all, yep. you know? And then they're telling me, you know, what it is that I'm expected to do yes. and that I'm the one, you know? And I'm like, oh, my God, you know? And you're talking about a sleepless night. Yeah. And I had to really think about that. I'm like, because I had so much respect for these two human beings, yeah. the work they had been doing over the years in the community, mm. the successes and the way they had... um impacted people's lives and Hmm. somehow I just never imposter syndrome maybe Hmm. you know I just never pictured myself as being key to this community the way they envisioned my future and they saw something in you exactly the same and that's why I think I felt like a child talking to them because I'm like this so much reminds me of when I was coming through the church and they were giving me these responsibilities and I'm questioning whether I could do this or not right but um so I yeah I I, sister Hamilton I just had the utmost respect for her and love for her she had so much patience with me and you're so right she never raised her voice never raised her voice you know but she was all until you know even like a couple of weeks before she died you know i went to visit her and again there was something going on in the community shirley did you do so and so i'm like oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) so the only thing she was she ever told me she was disappointed about was that when we started traveling to africa that i didn't take her to africa but i'm i'm so i will be eternally and always grateful for that relationship yes well i think one obviously she would be proud she she would be proud. Reverend Durant would be proud because you're doing exactly what they asked you to do. So, you know, thinking about that as well, preserving legacy and perver- preserving like heritage and history, you know, the Lift Every Voice mm. festival that you co-chaired with the late Don Quinn Kelly, yeah. that was pivotal. And just even, you know, in thinking about that festival, I it was it was monumental. Mm-hmm. It really was. And, you know, I mean, looking back now, it's like that first year, I mean, there were like just over 100 events, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tanglewood, Mass Mocha, yeah. Jacob's Pillow. Um, you know, Don Quinn Kelly was a force. Yes, he was. He Absolutely. was a force. And, I, you know, we see how we, we don't have that festival anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't have it. Um, one, 
tell me a little bit about how did it all come together? And I know, you know, our, our time is wrapping up soon, okay. but mm-hmm. how it all came together. And do you think we'll ever have something like that again? Well, first of all, I do think mm-hmm. we will have something like that again. And really, this was the vision of Eugenie Sills. Okay. And her and I continue to have this strong, you know, close working and personal, you know, relationship. Yeah. And this was a vision she had. Okay. And so she came to me just like I go to my friends (laughs) with ideas and, you know, excitement. And um, and she felt like, you know, person of color needed to lead this. Okay. And so she brought it to me and said, what do you think? And um, I said, wow, I think that's powerful. And then I went to Sister Hamilton. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? And she felt like, oh, my God, that's great. Yes. So, of course, you know, I asked her if she would serve on the committee. Yes. And uh, Don Quinn Kelly, because I've always had this extensive relationship with his wife, Sandra Burton, you know, who is just another. Another major force in our community. And uh, Don Quinn Kelly was coming to the community and was looking to get involved. So it just seemed ideal Mm. that he would be part of the steering committee. So um, out of that, those conversations, Mm -hmm. him and I, you know, decided that we would chair it. And... um, so that's how we got started. Yeah. Uh, Eugenie was a part of the steering committee. Well, thank you for that, you know, that acknowledgement, because it's always important to give credit where credit yes, is due. So absolutely. yes, Eugenie, she is, yes, that, that's important that um, that she be, you know, regarded yep. in that way. So thank you for that. Okay. Um, but do you think that we'll have a continuation of that yes. at some point? We, we've actually been having some conversations with the NAACP, okay. with Sandra Burton. Okay. Um, so there's a great possibility that we will see and actually if COVID had not happened mm-hmm. there might have been some piece of that this past summer but because of COVID it didn't happen at all so there are some conversations that are taking place. I mean I, I'm just recalling now Nikki Giovanni yes. didn't she come as part of that's one, right I mean she came right. as part of the, the festival was that in the inaugural year or was that I, after I'm trying to remember which year was that um, um, that might have been the second year. The second year. one, because yes. the first was, I think, 2011. Boy, look at you. You're good at yeah. dates. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that year, one of our features was um, my friend there, Sweet, from Sweet Honey and the Rocks. Yes. Yes, yes. It, so It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, it really it, was. It was really amazing. And to know that all of this was happening. And for those who might not know what the Lift Every Voice Festival, it really was about highlighting um, the rich history That's of right. African Americans in the Berkshires, not only present, but all the way back to like the, you know, before the American Revolution. I mean, it was, it spans the, 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 um, the distance in mm-hmm. terms of really showcasing and the history that exists here. That's right. Um, and and it did so through um, vibrant events and activities mm-hmm. and performers. Mm-hmm. It was really something. Yeah, and the collaboration was just major. Amazing. Every every major arts institution in yes. our county yes. pretty much collaborated with us yes. and had some type of activity or event yes. to accent what you're talking about in terms of the rich African American history. It was amazing. Yeah, really was. And I mm. mean, and, and the buying was all there. Yes. So yes. I'm glad that <laughs> yes. there is talk about yes. bringing it back because I think it's something that um, one is is 
will be well received yes. and people will be so happy to see it come back. Um, I'm going to ask a question about balance right now mm. because you do a lot. You are involved on so many boards. You're going, going, going. <laughs> How do you maintain balance and what does that mean to you? Well, I'm learning more, mm-hmm. you know, that that self-care is important. Mm-hmm. So I, I do take little getaways, you know, okay. now, uh, probably more so than mm-hmm. I ever did. Uh, I was recently in the Caribbean. Good for you. Yeah, Turks and Caicos. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so sometimes um, when I create my schedule, yeah. I'll leave myself one or two days off okay. per week. And sometimes that just means that I'm in the house, mm-hmm. in the quietness, stillness of the house, or I'm I, I'm a TV watcher. Okay. You know, uh, uh, I love music. Okay. You know, so it could be just that I'm sitting and um, listening to music. And because I have great people around me, they are constantly reminding me, Shirley, okay? And my kids are like, you know, my my new mother and father, you know, fathers. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay. Mommy, don't you think you need to take it easy? You need to do this. Like, okay, parents. Right. Okay, okay. You know, so um, I, I, and I am more conscious of my age. Okay. Um, so, um, so I'm, I am, I'm doing little things to try to keep more balance. I am looking for that assistant, okay. you know, to um, help me. Um, re- relieve my load and I also don't want to become ineffective because right. you can take on so much and you can you can become ineffective yes. and that's my greatest fear that I don't want to do right so and lastly if you had to choose one word to describe yourself what would it be hmm. um, abundance okay <laughs> <laughs> And do tell okay. why. Because <laughs> oh, I think I have many gifts. Mm-hmm. I think I've been blessed with many gifts and talents. And um, um, I'm in a, I have this an abundance of love yeah. and service. That's what's within me. Yeah. And I get great joy from serving. I really do. You know, so, um, yeah, abundance of joy, abundance of service. So. Well, thank you, Shirley. It has been an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad that we're able to delve into your story, find out a little bit more about you. I think people often, they know your name, but they don't know your story. And hopefully now they'll have a little bit more knowledge about you and knowing that um, the driving force behind your work is the reason your story is the why. So I want to thank you today. Everyone, you've been listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsville with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the city of Pittsville. Thanks for listening and have a great day. 